Hear now God's holy, infallible, and inerrant word. The ark of the Lord was in the country of the Philistines for seven months, and the Philistines called for the priests and the diviners and said, What shall we do with the ark of the Lord? Tell us with what we shall send it to its place. And they said, If you send away the ark of the God of Israel, do not send it empty, but by all means return him a guilt offering. Then you will be healed, and it will be known to you why his hand does not turn away from you. And they said, what is the guilt offering that we shall return to him? And they answered, five golden tumors and five golden mice, according to the number of the lords of the Philistines, for the same plague was on all of you and on your lords. So you must make images of your tumors and images of your mice that ravage the land and give glory to the God of Israel. Perhaps he will lighten his hand from off you and your gods and your land. Why should you harden your hearts as the Egyptians and Pharaoh hardened their hearts? After he had dealt severely with them, did they not send the people away and they departed? Now then, take and prepare a new cart and two milk cows on which there has never come a yoke and yoke the cows to the cart, but take the calves home away from them and take the ark of the Lord, place it on the cart and put the, in it a box at its side, the, the, the figures of gold, which you are returning to him as a guilt offering. Then send it off and let it go on its way and watch." If it goes up on the way to its own land, to Beth Shemesh, then it is he who has done us this great harm. But if not, then we shall know that it is not his hand that struck us. It happened to us by coincidence. The men did so. They took the two milk cows, yoked them to the cart, and shut up their calves at home. And they put the ark of the Lord on the cart and the box with the golden mice and the images of their tumors. And the cows went straight in the direction of Beth Shemesh along one highway, lowing as they went. They turned neither to the right nor to the left, and the lords of the Philistines went after them as far as the border of Beth Shemesh. Now the people of Beth Shemesh were reaping their wheat harvest in the valley, and when they lifted up their eyes and saw the ark, they rejoiced to see it. The cart came into the field of Joshua of Beth Shemesh and stopped there. A great stone was there, and they split up the wood and the cart and offered the cows as a burnt offering to the Lord. And the Levites took down the ark of the Lord and the box that was beside it, which were the golden figures, uh, in which were the golden figures, and set them upon the great stone. And the men of Beth Shemesh offered burnt offerings and sacrificed sacrifices on that day to the Lord. And when the five lords of the Philistines saw it, they returned that day to Ekron. These are the golden tumors that the Philistines returned as a guilt offering to the Lord, one for Ashdod, one for Gaza, one for Ashkelon, one for Gath, and one for Ekron, and the golden mice, according to the number of all the cities of the Philistines belonging to the five lords, both fortified cities and unwalled villages. The great stone beside which they set down the ark of the Lord is a witness to this day in the field of Joshua of Beth Shemesh. And he struck some of the men of Beth Shemesh because they looked upon the ark of the Lord. He struck 70 men of them, and the people mourned because the Lord had struck the people with a great blow. Then the men of Beth Shemesh said, Who is able to stand? Before the Lord, this holy God, and to whom shall he go up away from us? So they sent messengers to the inhabitants of Kiriath Jerem, saying, The Philistines have returned the ark of the Lord, come down and take it up to you. And the men of Kiriath Jerem came and took up the ark of the Lord and brought it to the house of Abinadab on the hill. And they consecrated his son Eliezer to have charge of the ark of the Lord. And from the day that the ark was lodged at Kiriath Jerem, a long time passed, some twenty years, and all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. So it's the reading of God's word. Let's pray. Lord, this is 
your word, and we've come eager to hear your voice this morning. We do pray that you would teach us from even this passage. Would you humble us before your word? Would you sanctify us and prepare us for glory? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. The question I will direct our attention to this morning is the question asked by the men of Beth Shemesh in verse 20 of our passage, who is able to stand before the Lord, this holy God? Who is able to stand before the Lord, this holy God? This has actually been a theme throughout this story of the ark over the past couple chapters. I don't know if you caught it, but the uh, the ark had was unable to stay with God's people as they lost possession of the ark at the battle at Ebenezer. It went into the land of the Philistines. The Philistines were unable to stand before this holy God. They were afflicted with terrors and a plague, and they sought to get rid of the presence of the Lord, to get rid of this ark. And here in this passage, it comes back to the land of Israel, and yet even the Israelites are afflicted with a plague. They were struck down dead, and they cry out, who is able to stand before the Lord, this holy God? But if we think even more broadly, friends, this question of who is able to stand before the Lord is the central theme of the Christian message. Now, you may have, we have different views about being in God's presence. Some of us have no desire to be in God's presence. There's by nature, we, we run. We, we want nothing to do with God. That's what we saw from the Philistines in our passage last week. They see God, by nature, we see God as a terror, as a threat, as someone who takes away from us, someone we want have nothing to do with. Some of us are apathetic. We have, have, are very indifferent to the presence of the Lord. We take it or leave it. Sounds like it could be a good thing. Maybe not so much. Maybe not something worth pursuing. Others of us desire to be in God's presence and yet feel unfit, feel like it's not attainable. How, how could we possibly be in God's presence, crying out like the men of Beth Shemesh, who is able, who, who can do this? And then others of us have tasted the joy of being in God's presence and it is uh, something that is insatiable, a desire to grow and to pursue and to strive for. But clearly not everyone can dwell in God's presence. But even if we take a step back and we think about the story of the whole of Scripture, that is a central theme, a central question. Who is able to stand in the presence of the Lord, this holy God? If you think about the most blessed times in all of the story of Scripture, there's two. First is, of course, the Garden of Eden, that blessed time where there was the man and the woman, there was no sin, there was no strife, there was no suffering, there was no sadness, and they were with God, they were holy, they were happy. And then there's the end of the story, of course, where we, the picture we get at the end of the book of Revelation, where there is yet again no sadness, no sickness, no sorrow, no suffering, no strife. People are holy and happy. What is unique about those points, apart from all the other times, is that they are in the presence of God. They're able to stand before the Lord, this holy God. 
Because as we look back to even the beginning of the story, right after that very beginning, Genesis chapter 3, the third chapter of the story, we see a separation where man is made unfit for God's presence, where man is cast out of God's presence into this unhappy state in which we find ourselves each and every day, where there is sadness and sickness and strife and a running from God or an apathy or an indifference to God. And so in between, there's this overarching question, who? Who is able to stand before the Lord, this holy God? Well, our passage answers that question, so we should hear what the Lord has to say in this passage. And it begins by saying, not everyone can stand in the presence of the Lord. It's obvious from the question itself, from the men of Beth Shemesh, but we can see it even more clearly in the Philistines. These Philistines have been experiencing the presence of the Lord, and it has been a terror and a torment, and they want nothing to do with God. They are eager to get rid of the ark, to cast him out of their presence, and they feel this plague, and they go to their best and their brightest, their, we, their, their wise sages, the priests and the diviners, and they say, what must we be done, do to be done with this plague? In other words, what must we, we do to be saved? And uh, the, the best and brightest of the Philistines, these priests and diviners, they give their wisdom to the Philistine lords. And what I want you to hear is how uncertain they are. How uncertain. How they're guessing. And beloved, only God's word gives us certainty of life. Natural man, apart from God's word, we, we in our pride, we flatter ourselves to make us, ourselves think that we have some sort of certainty. We, we, we hope for certainty, but we have no certainty. But hear it in the Philistines, in, in these diviners and priests. Verse 3, they said, well, if you send away the ark of God of Israel, not that we're telling you to send away the ark of God of Israel, but if you decide to do it, then don't send it away empty. Send a guilt offering. Then you'll know that he's healed you. And they say, well, what, what's this guilt offering that we should send? And, he said, and they, they come up with this thing, tumors, golden tumors, golden mice, according to the plague that was afflicted on you. So you must give it to them. And then, he, and then they say this in verse 5, and give glory to the God of Israel. Perhaps, perhaps he'll lighten his hand from off you and your gods and your land. Hope you noticed they weren't even confident that it was really the Lord that had afflicted them. So they come up with this elaborate test, as diviners would do. They said, well, go get two milk cows that have never been yoked, and then come up with a, a new, find a new cart that nothing has ever gone on, and, and yoke the, the cows to the cart, and take their calves, and put the calves, and pen them up at home, because the cows might naturally go back to their calves, and and then, and then take the ark, put it on the, ca on the, on the cart, and then take the, the tumors and the mice that you made, put it in a box, put that on there, and then, and then set it on its way. And it says, if, if it uh, goes on its way to its own land, to Beth Shemesh, then it is he who has done us this great harm. But if not, we shall know that it is not his hand that struck it. us. It happened to us by coincidence. A chance. If, perhaps, coincidence, 
these diviners, these priests, they grope around in the dark, and such is natural man. And beloved, we have our own diviners and our priests that we look to for wisdom, and they are groping around in the darkness just as much as these men. And we know it. You have a physical, medical issue. You go to the doctor, you have certainty that they will be able to accurately diagnose that and accurately provide you a treatment that will most certainly heal you. We hope. We've got amazing medical advances, but we don't have certainty. We have hope. You have emotional distress, depression, anxiety, fears, trauma. You go to a psychiatrist, a psychologist, a counselor. Are you certain they will be able to give you hope? That they will be able to set you on the right path? That they will be able to heal the ache in your soul? You have hope, but you don't have certainty. They can't offer certainty, even with the various treatments. Try this medication. Let's talk about your childhood. Let's do behavior replacement techniques. Hope, but no certainty. Or this world... We, we want happiness. We want peace. The world offers lots of different advice. Try this. Try that. Try, find a job that satisfies you. And don't, don't work so hard. Try to rest more. Find a job that makes lots of money because money is where it's all at. Well, no, actually, the simple life is where it's at. There's hope, but there's no certainty. But, beloved, God's word is truth. That is where certainty is. God speaks to us. And be careful. We know that the, wor- the wisdom of the world is uncertain. But don't think for a second that God's word is uncertain. God's word is absolutely certain. And all those things that we seek, all those things that we're looking for from the, the sages of this life are found in the presence of God. That is where we will find perfect healing. For our bones, perfect satisfaction for our souls, perfect blessedness and happiness forever and ever. And yet, not everyone can dwell in the presence of the Lord, this holy God. So who can? Well, if we follow this cart down the road to Beth Shemesh, we can get a little closer to the answer, but still not quite there. The second thing that we need to see as we look at the men of Beth Shemesh is, and this is important for us to hear, that being a member of God's covenant community and even doing the things that God calls us to do does not guarantee us access into God's presence or the ability to stand before the Lord, this holy God. So it had been seven months since the ark of the Lord had been in the land of Israel, we are told. So if you think back to the end of October of last year and all the things that have happened between now and then, that's how long it's been that the Ark of God has been in enemy territory. And likely, the Israelites just gave up hope ever seeing the Ark because the Ark had been taken by the Philistines. It was somewhere in Philistine land. It would have taken some kind of military incursion to go in, to find it, to defeat the Philistines, and to rescue the Ark out of the land of the Philistines, and yet, if you remember, they lost the ark because of a great rout. There were 30,000 Israelite soldiers who were killed after the battle where there was 4,000. So they had, it was without hope. And yet one day they're 
They're working the, the wheat harvest, and here comes the ark. Now, I want to stop right there, beloved. There, there are no insignificant details in God's word. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for us. And it may, you may, we, we can look right over this, this fact of the, the, the wheat harvest, but we need to stop and take a look at that. Why is that there? Beloved, I assert to you that that's there to remind us of the kindness and grace of our God. Because seed time, harvest, sun, rain, growth, provision, those things are not automatic. They don't just happen. God's word is clear that God is the one who provides everything that we need. He is the one that brings the seed time and the harvest. He is the one who brings the rain, who gives us everything that we need. In the book of Deuteronomy, God had promised a curse that if God's people turned away from him, he said, I will make the, the skies bronze and the earth iron so that you will have famine. You will not have what you need. But not so here. God's people had been faithless. Yet he was still faithful to them. He caused the rain to come. He caused the seeds to sprout. He caused the sun to not scorch the grain as it grew. They were in the middle of a harvest. God was providing for them. God's grace and his kindness. And in the midst of working this harvest, they lift up their eyes and they see, here comes the ark. Now you may remember that the ark of the covenant was a wooden box that was overlaid with gold and on top was the mercy seat, which was a golden top. And then it had the, the cherubim, the angels that were on there. And it may have looked to them as though like God had sent his angels into the land of the Philistines to pick up the ark and just bring it back into the land of Israel. And the ark comes to the field of a man named Joshua of Beth Shemesh. And of course they rejoice because here was the ark that they thought they would never see. God has returned to his people. And it's no accident that it comes to a the field of a man named Joshua. Joshua, whose, man, whose name means salvation or deliverance. Joshua, who is the, 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 the same namesake of the man who led Israel into the promised land after wandering in the wilderness. Now this ark is delivered out, has an exodus of its own out of the land of the Philistines and back into the land of promise. And it's no accident that it comes to the town of Beth Shemesh. Because Beth Shemesh is one of the cities that God had set apart as a town for the Levites, the priestly tribe of Israel. We see that at the end of the book of Joshua. And so the ark comes into this place and there's rejoicing and the Levites come and they take the ark and, they, and this box with these golden tumors and they put it on this great rock. And then the men take the cart and they break up the cart to make burnt, you know, wood for a burnt offering and they slaughter the cows and they offer these cows on this altar, this, this burnt offering. So they're rejoicing, these burnt offerings. And then there's this dual testimony of God's faithfulness. First is this kind of packing list from the warehouse in Ekron of all the things that are included in the box, all the tumors and, and, the, and the mice and everything like that. But the rock itself on which they put the ark in the, this box, that also is a testimony. So they're bearing witness, and they're sacrificing, and they're rejoicing, and there's priests, there's Levites, there's 
a man named Joshua. These are the people of God. And yet they're not able to stand in the presence of the Lord. Verse 19, and he struck some of the men of Beth Shemesh because they looked upon the ark of the Lord. Well, what does that mean? It couldn't have been that they just saw the ark of the Lord because the ark was often visible. I mean, uh, even before the battle at Ebenezer, yes, when the ark was at, when the people were at camp, the ark would have been in the Holy of Holies and only the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies. But anytime they marched, anytime they went into battle, the ark would have been visible. They would have been able to see it. Certainly the Philistines were able to see the ark, but that wasn't it. It was that they didn't regard this ark as holy. They were curious. They would let their curiosity get the better of them. Ooh, that's, that's the ark. God's footstool. Let's go check it out. Let's see the craftsmanship. Ooh, let's take the top off. Let's see all the stuff inside. Oh, the, the Ten Commandments from Moses, the manna from the wilderness, God's, or Aaron's staff that budded. Look at all that. They, they did not regard the Lord as holy. And they inspected, they gave themselves to this. And the Lord said, No, I will be regarded holy. And he struck them dead. And there were 70 men that died, and they mourned because the Lord had struck them with a great blow. And they said, who can stand before the Lord, this holy God? And beloved brothers and sisters, do not think that because you are a member of the church, or even that you do the things that God calls you to do, that you are able to stand before the Lord, this holy God. Those things are, will be done by those who can stand, but those things are no guarantee that we are fit to be able to stand before the Lord. Jesus told us that very thing. In the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 7, he said this. He said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name and then I will declare to them I never knew you depart from me you workers of lawlessness and that's a passage that we must take notice of and we must pay attention he says it's not about sound doctrine he says not everyone who says to me lord who calls me lord who knows that jesus is the Son of God. Knows, who knows that Jesus is Lord of the universe, King of all. Not everyone will be enter, able to enter the kingdom of heaven. That is, will be able to stand before the Lord. It's not about sound doctrine, because even demons know who this man is, who this Son of God is. Demons said, I know who you are, Son of David. Have you come to torment us before the appointed time? James says, demons know and they shudder. It's not about our sound doctrine. And it's not about a feeling of closeness with the Lord, an affection. Not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord. Somebody who has this, I feel like I'm close to the Lord. I, I love 
the Lord. You know, I hear the gospel and it warms my soul. Just draws me in. Jesus says, no, not everyone who says that will enter the kingdom of heaven. And it's not the things that we do, even the things that the Lord calls us to do. He says, on that day, many will say to me, did we not prophesy in your name? That is, did we not teach? Did we not teach Sunday school? Did we not have small groups? Did, did we not stand up front and lead worship? Did I prophesy in your name? Did I cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? I did outreach. I shared the gospel. And Jesus will say, on that day, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Apart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So we have to, have to ask, who then? Who? Who can stand before the Lord, this holy God? The rest of our passage actually gives us a hint. The men of Beth Shemesh, just like the Philistines, feared the Lord with this afraid fear that they could not stand before the Lord. And so they wanted to get rid of the ark. But a little bit different from the Philistines. The Philistines just took the ark and they said, here, you take it. We're, we're, we're dropping it off at the next place. Here, the men of Beth Shemesh actually ask. They call the men of Kiriath-Jerim and they say, the Philistines gave us the ark back. Uh, can you come and take it? And the men of Kiriath-Jerim say, sure. And they, sent, they go and they take the ark and it says they brought it to the house of Abinadab on the hill. Now, Abinadab and his son Eliezer, the, their, their names suggest that they were Levites and probably of the, the line of Aaron. Aaron was the one that the Lord had set apart to be the high priest, he and his sons. He was the appointed priest by God's call. But they didn't rest on the priestly lineage. But it says that they consecrated his son Eliezer that means that they went through God's appointed ritual to sanctify him, to make him holy, and to prepare him to be in the presence of the Lord. And there's also something else that we might miss. The name Eliezer, that name means God is my help. God is my help. That by God's help, by God's appointed call, and God's appointed consecrated process, this man, Eliezer, is being made fit to stand before the Lord. And it lodged there for some 20 years, and all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. And so, beloved, what we have to see in this passage is that the answer to that question, who may stand before the Lord, is a question of holiness, it's been the theme throughout 1 Samuel so far. Who will regard the Lord as holy, who is holy and able to stand before the Lord. But it's not, it's not holiness like we think of. It's not holiness like the, like the Pharisees thought of holiness. Uh, like it's about doing the right things or like rigid obedience to the law or we have to stop doing the wrong things, and we have to start doing the, the right things. It's not, as Jesus said, it's not about a holy profession, 
or a holy confession. It's not about being a part of a holy people or it's not about holy practice. All those things are necessary, but insufficient. What I mean by that is everyone who is holy will have that holy profession. Everyone who is holy will be part of God's holy people. And everyone who is holy will have holy practice. But that's not the fullness of the answer. But to get that answer, we have to think back to what Hannah said in her prayer back in chapter 2, where she said, there is none holy like the Lord. There's none holy like the Lord. In order to be able to stand in God's presence, we must regard the Lord as holy and be holy as the Lord determines holiness, not according to our definition of holiness. But there's none holy like the Lord, which means the only way we can be holy and stand in the presence of the Lord is to share in God's holiness. To be able to participate in his holiness. Brothers and sisters, that's why Jesus Christ came. That's why Jesus Christ came. He was the holy son of God. There's none holy like the Lord, and he is holy because he is of the Godhead. He was born, he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and he was perfectly holy in everything that he did. He had every single one of his thoughts, every single word that he said, every action that he did was perfectly holy, perfectly righteous. And this whole story in 1 Samuel chapter 6, it all points to him. And it shows us the beauty of the gospel in him. Because Jesus is the true ark of God. The, not not a, a wooden box overlaid with gold that is a symbol of God's presence, but he, was, he is God's presence come to be with us. He is Emmanuel, which means God with us. He came and he tabernacled with us. He came to disarm the rulers and authorities of this world to rescue his people for his own. So he's the true ark, but he's also the true guilt offering. Those priests and diviners, they said, don't send away the ark empty. Jesus, the true ark, did not go back empty. For he came to bear in himself the sins of his people. If your faith is in Jesus Christ, each and every one of your sins that you've already committed, that you will commit, were laid on his body and he was crucified for those. Those were in him. God made him who knew no sin to be sin, our sin, and to bear those. And we are in him, the Apostle Paul says, that we were If our faith is in Christ, we were crucified in him. We were buried with him. We were raised in him. He's the the ark that carries us to glory because Paul even says that we have been raised with him and seated with him in in the heavenly realms. That guilt had to be offered, and it was offered in him, which makes him the true deliverer, the true Joshua. Um, The prophet Isaiah gives this prophecy, which I'm sure you've heard. It's our uh, meditation passage today where he says, make a straight in the desert, 
a highway for our God. And just like this cart with these calves are on this highway, and the straight highway making straight to the path of to Beth Shemesh, this prophecy of Isaiah's is hearkening back to the to Exodus. And so do these Philistines. They, they look back to the Exodus. But Jesus is our true deliverer, not one that just rescued God's people out of Egypt into the wilderness and the promised land, and not just the ark that was brought out of the Philistine country to Beth Shemesh, but us from the slavery to sin and to death and the power of one who has power over death. That is the devil. He's the true Joshua. That's what the name Jesus means, as the angel told his parents, for he will save his people from their sins. And this was the case because he was the perfect sacrifice, not a couple of milk cows and a new cart, but he offered himself as a perfect sacrifice as he bore the sins of his people. And as a result, God gave him the fullness of his presence so that now he, as our high priest, stands in God's presence faithfully. So back to that question, who is able to stand before the Lord, the holy God? The answer is there is only one. There is only one who is able to stand in the presence of the Lord, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ, the righteous. He's the only one who is holy. He's the only one that is set apart and sanctified and consecrated to stand in the presence of the Lord. And yet God has said from the very beginning, there will be some who are able to stand, which means it is only in Jesus Christ that we can stand in the presence of the Lord, which means if in the presence of the Lord is the place of blessing and peace and healing, all those things, every spiritual blessing, Paul says, is in Jesus Christ. It is, it is a it is a, Jesus said it is a straight, it is a narrow gate. And he said, this is the gate to life. It is a gate that is one person wide. And that person is Jesus Christ. But we have to ask ourselves. I want you to ask yourself, am I able to stand in the presence of the Lord, this holy God? Am I able to stand? We can stand only in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? I would say it means two things. It means that we have to wholeheartedly put our faith in Jesus Christ. Find in Jesus Christ our holiness, our purity, that his blood purifies us from all sin. He, he's the one that gives us confidence that he, his righteousness clothes us, that he is our champion, that he's, he's cleared the path for us, and he's welcoming us. He's saying, come, come to me. That's part of it. That, that has to be our only hope, not in anything that we do, not in any status of ourselves, but only in Jesus Christ. But then Jesus and the rest of the New Testament say, strive, strive to enter. Jesus said, strive to enter the, the narrow gate. 
said, there, there's, there's plenty of wide gates, but those, those gates lead to destruction. Strive to enter the narrow gate. That is where there's life. And few will enter it. And the writer of Hebrews said, strive for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. And that, that holiness, beloved, is ours by Christ Jesus. Are you, are you striving for that holiness? There's two parts to holiness. There, there is the holiness that is ours by faith, where we are set apart as holy. But then there is the pursuit of holiness, that we grow in holiness. Let me ask a different question. Do you want to stand in the presence of the Lord? Is that your desire? There's a, a one pastor I read talked about holiness, and I thought this was beautiful. He said holiness is, we, we often think of holiness like it's broccoli. We, we know it's good for us, but nobody really wants it because we misunderstand the reality of true holiness. True holiness is not about do's and don'ts. True holiness is about growing into Christ, growing in him. If you know Jesus Christ and you are seeking your holiness in him, you will do these things. The more you draw near to him, the more you want to be like him. The more the things of this world fade away and they are, they're no longer interesting to you because you want to please him who gave himself for you. You, want, you know that you are being fit for glory and you know that what is there far exceeds thousands upon thousands times greater than any of the pleasures of this life. And that the pleasures of this life get in the way of our joy and eternity forever. Are you truly in Christ Jesus? Is, is your hope in Christ Jesus? Are you, are you eager to dwell in God's presence? Because the Philistines weren't, and by nature we're not. But if that's the case, friend, let me, let me just, every one of us will stand before the Lord. We will be paraded before the throne of Jesus Christ, and we will be judged. And what? And there will come a time where he will either say, depart, or he will say, come and enter. And those who on that day have lived for pleasures in this life and have not set their minds on eternity, they will see the heavenly blessing from afar on the other side of that throne, and they, there will be a time of great regret and a great sorrow seeing them from afar and knowing that everything that you pursued in this life rotted and is corroded, and then you hear those horrible words, depart from me, there is no more mercy. Depart from me, you workers of wickedness. That's the one option. Those cannot stand, but those who put their hope in Christ and in the glory of being in his presence will hear him say, come, come, enter. This is everything you've hoped for, everything you've longed for. Come, enjoy the presence, my presence, forever and ever. Beloved, this, this is what Jesus Christ offers. This is what I plead with you, to put your faith in Christ and to grow in him, in his 
presence, our pleasures forevermore, the fullness of joy. That's what our God says. We must believe it by faith and walk in him because, beloved, Jesus Christ has been offered to you. He is the way. He's been offered freely, fully, finally, and forever. Receive him and walk in him and rejoice in him. Let's pray pray together. Lord, we know that we are not fit for your presence, and yet we thank you that you have sent your Son so that we might be able to stand in your presence. Oh, Lord, would you, Spirit, would you, would you break us out of our slumber, break us out of our apathy, and would you give us faith? Would you give us strength? Would you help us to stop looking at ourselves uh, for uh, fitness, but to look to Christ, who is perfectly fit. We thank you for him. We pray these things in his name. Amen.